0: good morning, church. morning. How many of you have ever heard of a cost-benefit analysis? Anybody? Some of you are cringing. It's like, oh, that sounds like an accounting term. It is kind of an accounting term, kind of a business term. And it has kind of a formal definition, which I looked up at uh, Investopedia, right? Like Investopedia, what a great name. And it says that a cost-benefit analysis is the systematic process of evaluating the desirability of a decision by weighing its potential benefits and costs. Hence, cost-benefit analysis. Now, we do this uh, sort of intuitively sometimes. There's a formal process, and if you're in charge of a business and you're trying to decide if you're going to go into a strategic market or something like that, there's costs associated with investing in that, but there's potential benefits that that you would see. And so that's the more formal process, but there's a more intuitive process as well, And, and we do this kind of, At the large scale, like if I was trying to decide if I should replace my car, I could do a cost-benefit analysis, and hopefully I would look at all the costs associated with replacing the car, not just the cost of the car, but is that new car going to cost more to maintain or less to maintain, or will there be benefits that offset that cost to make it worthwhile, would the cost of ownership be lower, and so forth. So we do this financially, and sometimes we just say, you know, I really want a Snickers bar. And uh, the cost of a Snickers bar is, what, now, like $2 or something like that? But either way, it's $2. The benefit is I'll have a Snickers bar, I'll get to eat a Snickers bar. And so we do some of this rather quickly. But it's not just with financial costs. Sometimes the decision that we're faced with has maybe some relational costs, or it will cost us some time, which for some of us is an even more precious resource than money. And if we aren't careful, will maybe accentuate the costs and not think about the benefits. So if we in- invite you to serve at our car show coming up or to serve in Kidsway or in LSM or some other area and you think, I just, it's gonna cost me time but we don't think about the benefits that would come from that. If we only focus on the cost, we might say no. Or on the flip side, if we only focus on the benefit of something and we don't consider all the costs, Jesus warned against that. You know, don't start building a tower without considering how much is it gonna cost to finish the tower. Otherwise you might have the mansion that's in the news every week or two uh, that couldn't get finished and what's the city going to do with it and so forth. And we have these examples of that. And the reason that I bring this up is because I think it fits very well with our kingdom mission series. You see, the kingdom mission is to bring about the kingdom vision, that there is a vision that God has for your life. And I wrote something in my journal last year, and I reread it this summer as I went back through it. And what I wrote was that God's vision for our lives will cost us. There are costs associated with it, but they are costs that turn out to be benefits. And the American dream, on the other hand, offers many benefits that ultimately turn out to be costs. When we pursue those and when we sacrifice for those, we might get what we thought we wanted, but we won't want what we got because there's something better. That kind of The carrot keeps getting sent out there with that American dream, or you might call it something else, but, but this idea that we need more and we have to have more. Whereas you contrast that with God's vision for our lives, And anything Jesus said, anything that is sacrificed for my kingdom, for my vision, for your life, I will return to you double or triple, even more than you can imagine. And so we see in the kingdom when we do make the sacrifice, when we surrender something, For the expansion of God's kingdom in our own lives or in the world around us, and we choose to live sold out for Christ wholeheartedly, open-handedly, refusing Him nothing, surrendering what we think is ours for His glory, He returns to us. And those costs that we thought were costs turn out to be benefits because in exchange He gives us the righteousness, peace, and joy of the kingdom of God. He gives us the things that money can't buy. He gives us the things that time can't buy. He adds life to our years, not just years to our life. And so with that as a backdrop, as we think about this kingdom mission series, we started last week with a message titled Eyes to See, that we would have eyes to see. Today we're going to talk about having ears to hear. Very frequently in the gospel, when Jesus teaches something, whether it's a parable or he makes a declarative statement, he'll finish that with, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he's distinguishing between the ability to perceive audible sound and the ability to really hear, to listen, to respond to what we have heard. He's saying, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Next week, you're going to be treated with a powerful uh, testimony service, teaching service on having feet to go and hands to do. We'll hear from our Zambia missions team, and many of you played a part in them being able to go and, and do the Love Choma trip in Zambia. They're going to be sharing, and it's it's a perfect culmination to this series. And so I hope that you'll be here. I hope that you'll uh, lean in and listen in, because this whole eyes to see, ears to hear, hands to to go, our hands to do, feet to go. It comes from a poem that I read last week that several people commented on, and it comes from Teresa of Avila. She wrote this centuries ago, and yet it still rings true today. When she says, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands, through which He blesses all the world. This is why the kingdom mission matters so much. Because you individually and us corporately are the hands and feet of Christ on earth. We are the eyes to see. And we must have ears to hear in order to know what He wants us to do, where He wants us to go, and so forth. And so... I think last week we talked about having eyes to see because the kingdom mission is a global mission. It's everywhere all the time. It's not just here or just there. It's not just in Sioux Falls or overseas. It's everywhere. That God's desire is that none would perish, that all would come to repentance, that all would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so I wonder, if you think back on the last seven days, especially if you were in the service or you watched it online, have you seen anything differently this past week? Have you seen somebody, notice somebody in your life that you hadn't noticed before? Have you seen maybe somebody that you do know, but in a different light, and, and you've seen them more through God's eyes? That would be the desire. And so, if so, who was it? What was it? What looked different? And if not? why not why not perhaps a prayer that i might suggest before we move on i wish i had shared this last week because it's a prayer i've prayed before it's a simple prayer but i think it's a somewhat dangerous prayer in some sense it's a simple prayer that says lord please help me to see as you see and to do as you say and i believe that as we if we see as he sees we'll do as he says because all sin all all sin is really a failure to see as God sees, that we don't realize just how bad that thing is for us. And if we saw it through God's eyes, we wouldn't want anything to do with it. And so a prayer that you might just write down if you are a note taker is, Lord, help me to see as you see and to do as you say. Now, today we're going to shift our focus to having ears to hear, ears to hear his voice and respond in faithful obedience to God. As the sermon bumper makes clear, God has always been a sending God. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham, he was a sending God. Moses, the prophets, the people of Israel. In the New Testament, he sends his son to redeem us, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be with him forever. And then before he goes back into heaven, Jesus sends the disciples. He sends them during his earthly ministry. He sends them at the end of his earthly ministry. He is a sending God, but he is also a speaking God. He has always been speaking. He has always been communicating. His first act of love was to reveal himself to us so that we would know that there is a God in heaven who created us and who loves us. He has always been speaking. But are we always listening? Are we always listening? Do we have ears to hear? Or are we too preoccupied sometimes with our own mission and our own vision that we miss what God might be saying to us? And I'm not just talking about an audible voice. That is the case sometimes. Maybe you've had an experience like that. I've had times when it, was, it carried the weight of God speaking to me audibly. I can't tell you because nobody else was there <laughs> if it was an actual audible voice, but I know that it has hit me that way more than once and if you think about it kind of like a radio what's a radio that's not turned on or not plugged in Well, it's not really a radio right because a radio is designed to pick up a frequency a transmission and then to retransmit whatever it was receiving audibly and so if it's not plugged in or if it's turned off it's not a radio kind of like a, a toaster that's not plugged in is not a toaster You can put the bread in there, but it's not going to get toasted. And we are designed to receive that transmission from God who is always speaking, but too often we turn the knob off or we let our radio become unplugged. And A.W. Tozer kind of puts the smackdown on this one when he says most Christians don't hear God's voice because we've already decided we aren't going to do what He says. So what's the point in listening? What's the point in opening up our Bibles if we're not going to change our lives? What's the point in going and hearing a sermon if we're not going to respond in faith? James talked about this. It's not to be hearers only of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. And it's very, very dangerous to the kingdom of darkness when we predecide that our answer is yes, and we say, Lord, I'll go where you send me. I'll do what you ask me to do. I've predecided." And we listen for what it is that He wants us to do. We listen through God's word. As we read scripture, we say, What in me needs to change? We listen through prayer, both focused, formal prayer, but also a more conversational prayer as we go through the day, as we have our little prayer triggers set up so that when we hit a red light or when something happens, it reminds us to pray. And in that moment, we pray and we ask, God, What do you want for me in this moment? Or when we get overwhelmed and we get anxious, we take a deep breath. And we release it, and we say, Lord, I release everything and everyone to you. I invite your peace into this present moment. What do you have for me now? These are all ways that we can hear God's voice. We hear God's voice through fellowship, through each other. When you're in a Bible study or you're at a sermon, and you hear something, and it resonates with you, it rings true. And you think, oh, that was for me. That was for me. This requires of us an active listening, perhaps you've heard the difference between passive listening and active listening. Some of you have slipped into passive listening. Don't look at them, don't elbow them, right? Active listening is where we're paying attention, we're leaning in. We might take notes, we might journal and reflect on what we heard. If we're in a conversation, we might repeat to the person, this is what I heard you say, is that what you meant? Because it really matters that we get this right. That's all forms of active listening where we seek to apply what we have heard to be different as a result of it. And so we're going to focus today on two passages. These are passages where Jesus is sending people. One of them comes very early in Jesus's ministry. It's in Mark chapter 3. If you want to open a Bible to Mark chapter 3, if you need one of ours, there's some blue Bibles on the tables or in the seats in front of you. And you can open up to page 1,556. That's Mark chapter 3. We're going to start there. But I'm also going to read Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, some of the last words, in fact, the last words of Matthew's gospel. And it's only six pages back, so I put them really close for you guys. It was intentional, right? But we see that this first one that we're going to look at is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry as he initially calls his disciples. And the last one is at the very end of his ministry, after he has preached and taught, after he has been betrayed and has given his life and has gone into the grave and then been resurrected from the grave just before he ascends into heaven. He says these final words that we know as the Great Commission. So let me read these passages back to back and then we'll look at them each Individually, In Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, we read this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember that apostle is a Greek word that literally means sent one. It means sent one. So he called them, 12 of them in particular, designated them as sent ones that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And have authority to drive out demons. And so, this is a precursor to what takes place in Mark chapter 6, when he literally sends them out, two by two, to go into the places. And he gives them instructions. But from the very beginning, he was planning to send them. He calls them to himself. He designates them as apostles or sent ones. And he does that, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. That's Mark chapter 3. Now, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, at the very end of his ministry, we read this Then Jesus came to them, to the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now perhaps you noticed it, but in case you didn't, there's three elements in each of these. There's three elements of the call to discipleship, and there's three elements of the Great Commission that have a lot in common, so let's look at this. In the first passage there, in Mark chapter three, in verse 14, the second half of verse 14, as Jesus calls and appoints the apostles, there's three elements of that call that we would do well to pay attention to. The first is in the second half of verse 14. That they would be with Jesus. You see that? That they would be with Him. They will be with Jesus. That's what part of the call is. So that they can listen to Him. So that they can learn from Him. So that they can observe and see how He does it. So that they can be discipled by Him. And that word that we translate as disciple in, from the New Testament, it literally means to be apprenticed by. And so if it's helpful to think of it as a, you know, a, a journeyman electrician with an apprentice working alongside them, learning how to do it right, learning how to wire a box, learning how to wire a panel, learning how to change out a light fixture, learning all of these things, and then practicing them with observation. That was sort of the, the whole idea that they would be apostles, they would be disciples, they would be with Jesus, they would hear from Him, they would learn from Him. And this underscores this reality that God has always wanted to be with you. He has always wanted to be with us. He created us in His image and He desires to be with us. He desires to be with you. Do you realize how much He desires? To be with you, to be in relationship with you, to spend time with you. You can go all the way back to the first chapters of Genesis. Before the fall, before there was a law, before there was anything, what does it say that God loved to do? He loved to walk with them in the cool of the day. He wanted to be with them. He's always wanted to be with us. He's always wanted to be with you. I love to walk with God in the cool of the day. It was hard this week, right? It was 78 degrees at 6.30 in the morning. That's gross. (laughs) But it was 102 degrees at 4 p.m. So guess when I went and walked with God in the relative cool of the day? Six o'clock in the morning. get to watch the sun come up and walk with God in the cool of the day. Nothing in my ears. Just praying, just walking. Maybe sing a hymn. He's always wanted to be with you. He's always longed to be with you, to walk with you in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Jesus, just before he was betrayed, just before he died on the cross, he told the disciples in John 14, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come back and receive you so that you may be with me where I am. He's always wanted to be with you, and he wants you to be with him forever. That is Jesus' heart towards you, and that is the first thing, as He's calling His disciples, that they would be with Him. The second, we see in the next phrase, that, that He would send them out to preach, that He would send them out. This is that sending, this is that apostolos, the Greek word, to send out, to teach what He teaches, As they are with Him and they listen to Him, then He sends them out to teach, to make disciples. And so they have to listen actively so that they can proclaim to others the message of Jesus. Proclaim to others who will also hear the good news. And then they will go and proclaim. And this is how the multiplication of the gospel takes place is when people are faithful to go and to proclaim, that we are sent out to preach to proclaim. To preach doesn't just mean that you stand on a stage in front of a bunch of people sitting in rows. That's one way that preaching takes place, but it literally means to proclaim. And so you can do that one-on-one in a coffee shop. You can do that in a small group. You can do that in a classroom or a workplace. You could invite some people in your gym to join a Bible study. And you're proclaiming, you're sent out to teach. Now, the third one we see in verse 15. It says, and to have authority to drive out demons. What? To have authority to drive out demons? Does that freak any of you out a little bit? Just be honest, it's okay. Freaks me out a little bit. But here's the good news Jesus is Lord. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid that authority has been given to you to drive out demons. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And that is good news. That means that he is Lord over the demons. He is Lord over the whole earth, over everything. That next passage that we're going to look at, he says, all authority has been given to me. That means that there is nothing that is not under his authority. He is Lord. I don't think you get it. I think you need to say it. And so I'm going to count you down, and I want you to say Jesus is Lord, and I don't want you to just kind of say it. Like, I want you to really say it. Shout it out. Stand up if you have to. Okay? Three, two, one. Jesus Jesus is Lord. Lord. Do you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to say it again? Three, two, one. Jesus is Lord. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He is Lord. This is good news. This is really good news. He's Lord of all. And so as you think about driving out demons, if that makes you a little apprehensive, think about it this way. Because it may be that you literally step into a situation and you cast out a demon. That happens in Scripture. But what happens a lot in Scripture as well is that people share their faith. And somebody responds in faith to what they heard. And they believe that Jesus is Lord. And they repent of their sin, and they have a new Lord, they have a new master, and these old demons, these old priorities go out and the Holy Spirit comes in. Did that person drive out demons? Yes. By sharing their faith, by telling what they have seen and heard, by being a witness and giving somebody the opportunity to respond in faith, it drives back the darkness. Now the darkness will stand against us as we do this, but Jesus is Lord. And so whether you do this one-on-one in a coffee shop or you do this on a stage, if someone believes they have stepped out of darkness into his glorious light, you were a part of driving back the darkness. That authority has been given to you. It is a birthright. In John 3, Jesus says that, that if anyone believes in him, they are a new creation. They're born again. A spiritual birth, and that part of that spiritual birth, that new life, is a new birthright. And authority comes with that. As a believer, you have that authority. And so that's at the beginning. That's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry as he's calling the disciples. Just a few chapters later in Mark chapter 6, he's going to send them out, and they do all these things. And it's amazing, and they can't believe it. And each of the Gospels tells the story of when they come back, and they're so fired up. what took place and yet at the end of the Gospels he also sends them out as we saw in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 fascinating you see the exact same three elements just in reverse order anybody pick up on that that when we look at chapter 28 of Matthew verses 18 through 20 He came to them and he said, All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. There's authority. Second, therefore, go and make disciples. He's sending them. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And last, but certainly not least, I will be with you always to the very ends of the earth. The same three elements, just in reverse order. And so we see here as Jesus gives the great commission, the great common mission, that's what a commission is, that now Jesus' mission is distributed to all the disciples, to all those who believed. They're sent out. And the common mission, before he gets to that, he reminds them, all authority has been given to me over sin, over death, over the grave. All authority has been given to me. Do you know what the Greek word for all is? You know what it means? It means all. Good news. That one's an easy one, right? No expanded definition, no tricky, well, it really means this. It means all. All authority. Every instance of authority, every kind of authority. Now, that word authority is important to understand because it means the power to act, the power to influence. Ability, All of that has been given to Jesus. Every single kind of that has been given to Jesus, and he's distributing it through his disciples. That's you. That's me. And he sends them out. Once he reminds them that all authority has been given to him, that he has overcome sin, he has overcome death, he has overcome the grave, then he sends them out. He says, therefore, go. Circle the therefore in your Bible. He's saying, All authority has been given to me in light of that limitless authority that I have. You go. You go. And you make disciples. And you baptize those disciples, where they'll make a public profession of their faith. And then you'll teach those baptized disciples to do everything, to obey everything that I have told you, including this command. And that starts the whole cycle over. As you get to the end of that, and now you're a disciple, guess what disciples do? They go make disciples. They go tell people what they've seen and heard. They go teach people to obey everything that he has commanded. It was always intended to be this multiplying kingdom. And that's why here we are 2,000 years later, two and a half billion believers later. And what Isaiah prophesied is absolutely true. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of his, the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. That, that means that it's never going to cease to expand. It will expand indefinitely forever. Because he promised that it would. And so when I was thinking the bottom line for this message, I knew it was on this point, And I wrote one down, and then I wrote another one down. And I was really wrestling with them. And I was like, well, I like that one, but I also like that one. And I was literally about to flip a coin. And I thought, you know, let's do something different. Let's empower the people. You get to decide what the bottom line is for this message. I've never done this before, but I think it's kind of cool. You get to decide. You get to pick which bottom line is for you. Here's the first one. If you're saved, you're sent. If you're saved, you're sent. God has a mission in this world, and if you are saved, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you experience salvation, if you repent of your sin and you turn to follow him, then you are sent. If you're saved... You're sent to go find someone else to save them so that they can be sent too. If you're saved, you're sent. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Saved people are sent people. Saved people are sent people. They basically say the same thing. One of them is probably more for the lone wolf. If you're saved, you're sent. The other one, if you like to do things in a group, might be better for you. That saved people are sent people. And if you're a little nervous about going out alone, keep in mind Jesus sent them out two by two. Find a friend. Link arms and go charge the darkness together or form a small group and go serve together and share together because saved people are sent people. And if you're saved, you're sent. Now there's one more little piece of good news here. One more element of this great commission. One last thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to hear before he ascended. It's verse twenty. Surely, surely I am with you, always to the very end of the age. To which Thomas said, Who's surely? I haven't met her. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's my fourth dad joke for the day. Pastor Zach only gives me four dad jokes, one for each kid. No rollover dad jokes, okay? Which I think is Totally unfair. I should get rollover dad jokes. But I told him one joke, which I won't repeat, not because it was inappropriate, because he was just a real groaner. And then I saved my two dad jokes so that I could tell in each service. So if you got derailed, I'm sorry. There is no surely among the disciples. He's saying surely, certainly, definitely, you can count on it. Take it to the bank. I am with you always, always, always even to the end of the earth. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. All authority under heaven and earth has been given to him. And he is sending us and promising us that he will be with us always. That is good news. He's with us. He has unlimited authority. He's sending us. And we don't have to wait. That's the beauty of always. It starts immediately. Like the woman at the well last week, she left her expensive water jar behind and ran back into town to get people to bring them to Jesus. And then those people were so excited, they brought Jesus to even more people. They didn't wait. It doesn't say, I will be with you eventually or occasionally. It says, always, It doesn't say, I'll be with you after you've taken a few Bible study classes. I'll be with you after you've read the Bible all the way through, or a second time, or a third time. I'll be with you after you go to seminary. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, I will be with you always, starting right now, starting when you walk out those doors. He's with you, always. So which bottom line did you choose? How many of you picked the first one and are bold enough to raise your hand? How many of you picked the second one? Okay, about 50-50. And the other 50% of you are still on the fence, haven't decided yet. But more important than that question, more important than which bottom line did you choose, whether if you're saved, you're sent, or saved people are sent people, more important than which bottom line you choose is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with it? Where are you going to go as a result? Who are you going to tell your story? Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to make a disciple? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to get better at hearing God? How are you going to systematize hearing from God through his word, through prayer, through fellowship? How are you going to get better at having ears to hear so that you'll know where you're to go and who you're to speak to? I'm just curious. How many of you take notes today? How many wrote something down? Good number of people. Now, how many of you are going to take action today? Because that's more important than notes. Notes are great, but if all we do is take notes and we don't take action, then we got a notebook full of notes and a world unreached. We have to take action. You don't even have to take notes to take action. You just have to go tell people what you've seen and heard. Go tell people the difference Jesus has made in your life. The woman at the well is a great example of this. You can even exaggerate. She proves that point. (laughs) Bring people to Jesus and bring Jesus to people. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that all authority under heaven and earth has been given to you, that there is literally nothing that can stand against you and that you invite us to step into that authority with you. You promise to be with us and you send us To a world that desperately needs to know what we know. To hear the good news that we have heard and responded to. And so, Lord, may we be faithful ambassadors for Christ. May we have ears to hear. May we have eyes to see as you see. May we pray that prayer that we would see as you see and do as you say. And may we listen attentively for your direction to us. Thank you that you will be with us as we step into the places that you send us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.